It is, what, the 27th of January now, nearly the end of uh, the first month of 2019. Still the Brexit talk uh, goes on and on and on. And it seems to get a wee bit more frenzied by the day. The political prophets of doom are telling us that Brexit will be catastrophic for the country. Chaos today and catastrophe tomorrow. It doesn't fill you with hope for the future, does it? As you turn the news on, as you open your newspaper. But I don't know what type of Brexit would be best. Uh, and we should certainly pray for the leaders of our land that they would be um, helped in the discussions that they are having and in the decisions that they are taking, that they would be constructive discussions and wise decisions. We should pray for them at this time. But I think it's also important for us in Christ to remember that none of these things are ultimate. They are important. We should recognize them as important but they're not of ultimate importance. They are secondary. We are not just part of the United Kingdom, but we are part in Christ of the kingdom of God, and it is that kingdom which matters most. We may have leaders making, our, making decisions on our behalf in Holyrood and Westminster and Brussels at the moment, just now anyway. Uh, but what matters most is that whatever happens with Brexit, whatever politicians decide, and whatever political beliefs we may hold, whatever allegiances we may have, whether it's hard Brexit or soft Brexit, whether it's uh, deal or no deal, that Jesus Christ is still Lord. And what comfort that ought to offer us as His followers, as children of God, as members of the kingdom of Christ Jesus, that no matter what happens with the politics of our world, no matter what happens indeed in our lives in this new year, that Jesus Christ will still be Lord. Knowing that can free us from the fear and from the frustration that seems to have a hold on so many people at this time. We're going to lift our eyes together to see Christ as Lord as we turn to Scripture. Christ as the risen and ascended, glorified Lord as we meet Him in Revelation chapter 1. So, Revelation chapter 1, the last book of the Bible. I don't have the page number in your pew Bibles, apologies, but the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 9 together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. 
was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. John was a man who knew what it was to see Jesus. What a privilege it must have been, and what a joy it must have been to see Jesus for the very first time. He's mending his nets, preparing his nets to fish, presumably utterly unaware that his life is about to change forever preparing his nets, very ordinary duty, very ordinary day, ready to go back out onto the boat to earn his living. And he lifts his eyes to see Jesus for the very first time, and everything changes. He leaves his nets, he leaves his boat, he leaves his livelihood, he leaves his old life behind to follow the Lord, to follow Jesus. And he goes on as he follows Jesus to see the Lord teach and heal and deliver and free men and women from darkness and from death. John was there at the transfiguration. He was there at the crucifixion. It was John that Jesus asked to look after his mother when he had died. He was there at the transfiguration. He was there at the crucifixion. He was there at the 
ascension, John had spent a lot of time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now John was an old man. He had lived a full and fruitful life. He had blessed many people. He had been a key leader of the church. Most of us, I'm sure, would have forgiven him for taking it easy now, for relaxing, for retiring, for playing golf and going fishing, maybe buying a wee holiday home in the sun somewhere. But not for John, because John's passion was to tell people of the Lord whom he loved to tell people about Jesus. And in those days, in that context, that was a dangerous thing to do. If he was a young man, he might have been sold into slavery or even killed, as many of the other apostles were. But old men like him were often shown mercy of sorts and exiled instead. And that's what happened to John. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was on Patmos, but he was in the Spirit. And as he is in the Spirit, God gives this old man, this old uh, follower of Jesus, another special encounter with his Lord, another time in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look to this vision of the risen and ascended, the risen and exalted Lord Jesus, we'll flag up three things that ought to strengthen and encourage us in Christ Jesus today. Firstly, Jesus is the living Lord. The living Lord. I've got my clicker back. There we go the living Lord. Verse 18. I am the living one, says Jesus. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. We don't gather together in the Lord's day in this place to remember the life of a great man like other great men, women in the past, who have lived and died. No, we gather on the Lord's day in this place to celebrate that our Lord lives. We don't meet to worship a dead prophet or a dead teacher or a dead holy man. What would your faith in Christ be worth had Jesus stayed dead, stayed in the grave, not been raised to life? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, your faith would be worthless were Christ not raised. He says to the Corinthian church in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. If Jesus is not alive, then death has not been defeated. If Jesus is not alive, then we would have no real hope to hold out to the world. But Jesus is alive. 
Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, says Paul in Romans 6. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death is no longer master over Jesus, and death, therefore, is no longer master over those who are to be found in Christ Jesus. Jesus shares his victory over death with those who turn to him and trust in him. Our greatest enemy has been defeated. Our greatest fear is emptied of its sting because our Lord has accomplished what none of us ever could. He has triumphed over death itself. So we remember when we meet here on a Sunday morning that we don't meet for commemoration. We meet for celebration that Jesus is alive, that he is triumphant, that he is victorious. The cross was known as a place of shame, of humiliation, of defeat. And yet Christ used the cross to work the greatest triumph, the greatest victory that has ever been seen. We gather on the Lord's day to celebrate that we have, in the words of Peter, a living hope as those who have been born again into Christ Jesus. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord, and our hope will live as long as our Lord lives. Our hope will never be snuffed out because Jesus will never die. Our hope will live right up until the day that it finds its fulfillment when Christ comes again. He is the living Lord. Secondly, He is the present Lord. Verse 13 And among the lampstands, says John, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he is at the right hand of the Father on high. But as John sees him, he is moving among the lampstands. And what are the lampstands? The lampstands are the churches. Jesus is present with his people. Lampstands represent all true Christian churches. There are seven lampstands, seven in Scripture, especially in Revelation, is the the perfect number, perfect in the sense of completeness. So these seven churches are representative of all true Christian churches. And it's wonderful to think that the the picture that we have of these churches is is a golden lampstand. Gold, of course, is, is valuable and precious and beautiful. And in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Lord, His churches are valuable and precious and beautiful. And not just the really, really good churches out there somewhere, 
Not just the perfect churches, not that there is such a thing, but the very ordinary churches. We know that because the churches that are mentioned in this passage we know to be far from perfect. As we go on and read in Revelation, uh, the the letters to the, the various churches, we see that they are far from perfect, just like us, far from perfect, and yet deeply, profoundly loved by Christ, precious and valuable in His sight. That is what we are to Him. That's why we're gold, but why are we lampstands? Well, we are lampstands because we are called in Christ to radiate the light and the life of the Lord out into the communities that we are called to bear witness to. We are called to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ as we remain faithful to follow Him. Jesus walks in our midst. He is our treasure. We bring people into our church fellowship not because we are the perfect church, not because we have a really impressive building with really nice windows, not because we have great musicians, though we do, Uh, Not because we've got all sorts of groups and activities for people to enjoy. We bring people into the church primarily, fundamentally, because this is the place that Christ is present in a special way. And the longing of our hearts is that as people come into our midst, as people share in time together with us, that they would see, that they would sense the presence of the Lord, that they would recognize who Jesus is, and having recognized Him, that they would receive Him, and with Him, the blessings that He gives to His people. When we meet together on a Sunday morning, we are not just a hundred odd people just to be clear, that's a hundred odd people, not a hundred odd people. We're not just, we're not just a, a, a gathering of people who, who are here to share some time together, to sing some songs, to listen to a speaker. We do all of that, and that's good and important. But we gather to have an encounter with our living Lord, with the one who is still pleased today to meet with His people, to minister to us in our weakness and in our need, to bless us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to unite us, to lift us up, to equip us to be found faithful and fruitful in His service, to make us shine that bit more brightly, having had this time in His presence together. He is here by His Spirit. Remember what He said to His followers as He prepared to leave them? That must have been terrible for the disciples, to think of life lived with Jesus not there in the flesh. But He says to them, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. 
we have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have His presence because He has been faithful to fulfill His promise. He has given us His Spirit. And so we ought to hunger to know the presence of our living Lord Jesus Christ, the one who promises to draw near to us as we draw near to Him. He has not left us alone. He is the living Lord. He is the present Lord. And lastly, He is the powerful Lord, the all-powerful Lord. Let's look together at verse 16. In His right hand He held seven stars, and out of His mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. That's what the NIV says, in all its brilliance. But actually, the, the Greek word that lies behind that word brilliance is dynamos. It's the word we get dynamite from. And really what it means is, is, is power. Uh, his face was shining like the sun in all of its power. It's true to say that the sun is brilliant in terms of the brightness of its light. It is dazzling. It is too bright, too dazzling to be able to look at with the naked eye. And we certainly have that sense in this passage, don't we, of the, of the radiance of Christ, of the brightness of Christ, of the brilliance of Christ. That is there. But the sun is not just brilliant and dazzling and bright. It's also powerful. Were there no sun, there would be no life. That's, that's powerful. I had a look on the internet to see just how powerful the sun was. Let me see what my statistic says. Bob will tell you if this is true or not. But according to the internet, which is never wrong, really, as you know, it says every single second, every single second, the sun produces the same amount of energy as a hundred million megaton nuclear bombs exploding. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds fairly powerful. Every single second. And that's what we have here. His face was shining like the sun in all, not just of its brightness, but in all of its power. He is the powerful one. Without Christ, without Jesus, there is no life. That is how powerful He is. And if we look at verse 18. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I love that phrase. I hold the keys. I remember when I was young, longing. By longing, I mean moaning to get my own set of keys for the house. Mom, all my friends have their own sets of keys. Why have you not given me a set of keys? And I remember the sense of excitement when my mom eventually relented and gave me my own set of keys for the house. I wanted the power and the freedom to open my own house myself. And when my mom gave me those keys, I had the power. And I had the authority because I didn't steal them. They were given to me by my mom. They were rightfully mine. And as you get older, you get more and more keys. 
You get keys for your car, you get keys for your work, you get keys for your locker, you get keys for your church if you're patient enough. You get keys for all sorts of things. And with all of those keys, you get a bit more authority, a bit more power. Well, Christ is the all-powerful one. He is the one who holds all the keys. Even the keys to death itself are in his hands. They are rightfully his. No one can question his authority to exercise his absolute power. And remember the nature of Christ. Normally the thought of absolute power resting in the hands of one person, one man, would be a terrible thing. But not so for Christ. Consider his love, the humility that saw him willingly be born as a baby in Bethlehem, willingly live as a man in this world as broken as it is by sin, to experience rejection, to experience betrayal, to experience loss, to experience hunger and thirst. He humbled himself to experience even death for us. Experience death that he might triumph over death for us. It's a wonderful thing to think of the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the loving Lord. They are rightfully His. So what have we to fear if this Jesus is our Jesus, our Savior, our Shepherd, our Brother, our Lord? Jesus is the Lord who is alive forever the ever-living Lord. He is the Lord who is present with His people, moving among the lampstands, and He is the Lord who holds all the keys. And that ought to free us from fear and fill us with faith and with hope and with joy in Jesus. He is the one who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our faith and all of our hope. And so we stand to sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song.